So we're reading from 1 Samuel, and it's chapter 16, and it's on page 287. Chapter 16, starting at verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendants said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our, God, let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking a fine-looking man. And the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, "Send me your son David, who is with the sheep." So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. 
then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. This is God's word. Good evening, everyone. Lovely to be back with you this evening. Uh, Let's pray as we get stuck into God's word. Great God and Father, we praise you that uh, your thoughts are not our thoughts and your ways are not our ways. Um, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your thoughts higher than our thoughts. So tonight, Lord, help us to listen to your thoughts. Help us be open to see things from your perspective, to see what matters to you, what truly matters. Amen. Um, Let me start with a a question. Um, What what impresses you when you uh, look at other people? Like when you see someone's social media profile or when you get chatting to someone uh, in the pub, what things impress you? What are the things that make you think, wow? Um, As a society, um, we're, we're, we're often impressed by things that are on the surface, aren't we? I came across some crazy statistics this week. Do you know, in the Fortune 500 companies, there's a massive percentage of CEOs that are over six foot tall. It's crazy. Like At the time that the study was taken, that the national average, there were 14% of people that were over six foot tall. 58% of the CEOs were over six foot tall. And less than 3% of them were under five foot seven. Isn't that crazy? I mean, let me tell you, as a tall person, it does not make you smarter. <laughs> I wish it did. But, but as a society, we are impressed by things that are on the surface, aren't we? I mean, also, apparently, there were more CEOs called David than there were women in the whole Fortune 500. Apparently, there's something impressive about the name David. So if you're here and you call David, well done. But we are... We are impressed by things on the surface, aren't we? And it can cause problems. Did any of you guys watch the, 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 the fire documentary on Netflix? The, the documentary about the fire festival? Some nods in the room, yeah. Um, it was this crazy situation where an entrepreneur basically got a bunch of models and took them to this island, um, a, a tropical island. And he took this, hopefully it's coming up, the picture's coming up, no, took them to this tropical island. And he took this promo video of them like going around in boats and splashing in the waves and eating gourmet food and the, the champagne's flowing. Um, and, and he used that to advertise this brand new festival slash VIP experience called Fire Festival. Um, And it went viral. He was spinning the PR really, really well. The appearance was so glitzy, like this idea that I can taste that lifestyle for three days, that thousands of people watched it. Thousands of people spent thousands of dollars signing up to go. But it was just an appearance. This guy had no idea how to run a festival. And so when people arrived on the island, this is what they found. Well, this is what they expected. Next one, this is what they expected. Um, This is from the, the promo video. This is what they found when they got there. Literally FEMA tents. <laughs> and then when they expected that the gourmet food, this is what they got. It was literally like bits of cheese on bread in polystyrene containers. There was this wonderful appearance, but there was no substance underneath. It cause problems. It's easy to be impressed by what's on the surface. But it, as I watched it, it, it made me ask, um, what are the surface things that impress me? I wonder how you'd answer that. 
what are the surface things that you find impressive when you meet other people? I've been asking people that question this week and people have said different things. Some people said what job others have. Some people said how confident they are, how qualified they are. What, what, what impresses you? I think that's the big issue um, in this passage from the Bible today. Check out verse 7 with me. Look at verse 7, halfway through. It says, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. Man looks, we look, people look at the surface, but God looks at the heart. Now the problem is, what does that mean? Well, that means that if you and I keep doing that, if we look at the surface, we will miss what matters to God. It's possible to do that, to go through your whole life missing what matters to God because we're just looking at the surface. Now, um, just briefly, let me remind us kind of where we are in the book of Samuel. Israel's, uh, look, I promised to use a flip chart last, last week. I'm going to do it again. Um, Israel's looking for a leader, and we've seen the rise and the fall of King Saul. We saw that last week. Um, and here, we're beginning to get the rise of the next king, King David. Later in the Bible, he's going to fall as well. But here, if you like, we're at this point, at the crossover between the old king, King Saul's rejected, and here, God chooses, anoints the new King David. And what we see in the passage, right, is that what people are looking for in the king, in the divinely appointed leader, and what God sees are totally different. What we see on the surface and what matters to God are totally, totally different. And we need to know that because that's a principle that works out in so many areas of life. If we just look at the surface, you and I will miss what matters to God. And that is true in so many different areas of our lives. We'll see as we go through the passage. There are three points we're going to look at tonight. First of all, man, uh, people look at the surface. Second point, God looks at the heart. Third point, don't miss what really matters. That's where we're going. Okay? Let's dive in. Let's dive in. People look at the surface. Have a look down at verse 1 with me. The Lord said to Samuel... How long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you. And so I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what to do. You're to anoint for me the one I indicate. Right, so sun, sun rises over Samuel's house and, you know, he's wearing black. He's probably weeping. He's grieving. He's gutted. Why? Well, because the last king, Saul, screwed up, rejected God. God's rejected him. That's probably going to mean disaster for the country. He's, he's mourning. God speaks to him, says, stop. Stop mourning now. Fill your horn with oil. Um, and, and look at the end of verse one. He says, I have chosen one of his, Jesse's sons, to be king. I have chosen. Now, guys, that, that's an important um, thing, right, in, in, in the book of Samuel up to this point. Because as we said, Saul's been king. And the big thing that, that, that Samuel told us about Saul was that he was the people's choice. 
Can we have the next slide up? Here are some, some verses from earlier um, in, in, in 1 Samuel. Um, it says, speaking of Saul, your king whom you chose for yourselves, that's Saul. Now here's the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. That was the big thing about Saul. He's, he, he, he represents what the people wanted, what mattered to the people. And the thing that they kept saying about him was, chapter 9, verse 2, he was tall. He was literally head and shoulders above everybody else. That is, he represents what is impressive in our sight, outward appearance, impressive on the surface. That was Saul. If you like, if, if, if Fire Festival was a person, it would have been Saul. Right? Everyone looks at him and says, wow, yeah, I want that, I want to follow that, I want to be there. But the reality was a disaster. He ignored God. Um, and was rejected by, by God. And now, here, verse 1, now God says, I, this time it's my choice. This time I have chosen uh, the king. Um, and have a look down at verse 4. Let, 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 let's keep going. Um, Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town uh, trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, that's the eldest son, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Right, so that the eldest son, Eliab, is led out and he's tall, just like Saul was. He's probably got a massive chest and huge biceps. He probably played open side flanker for the local rugby team. Probably has, you know, wonderful aftershave. You look at him and you go, wow. And Samuel, God's prophet, looks at him and is like, great God, we've got him. It's got to be this guy. He's massive. Even, even God's prophet is looking at the surface. Now, it's worth, it's worth just mentioning that wasn't completely stupid, Right, culturally at the time, the eldest is always the leader in a tribal system. In the whole, all the surrounding culture, that's just what you do. This wasn't stupid. This is just culturally expected. And more than that, actually, being tall kind of did matter for the king in those days. One of the king's main jobs was to, to lead the, 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 the lead the nation into fights to fight off invading armies. Being tall was genuinely helpful for his job description. So this isn't completely stupid. But God does say, God does say, don't look at the surface. Stop looking at the surface. Now, guys, today, um, there are other things that our society would consider tall, right? What are some of the things that make people tall in our society? Um, I was chatting this week to, 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 to a third-year student, and I said, look, at your stage of life, what is that? What are the things that, that are sort of outwardly impressive? And they said, look, at this stage of the year, everyone's starting to get jobs. And so where you get a job could be quite impressive. You're going to Goldman Sachs. Wow. They want you to be CEO. Wow. I mean, not really. But where, where someone gets a job, that... That is impressive. We're impressed by that, aren't we? That does make people taller. 
in our society's eyes. Oh, I, I had a friend who, <laughs> um, he, he's from Nigeria. His family owned this massive kind of mansion thing overlooking Regent's Park, and it's gorgeous. Um, and it was funny, he lived there through his 20s on his own. And after a few years, he basically would never invite people back to his house. And I remember finding out, what, why? Why did you do that? And he said this, he said, once people have seen my house, they just treat me totally differently. It's like I grow in their eyes, not because of who I am, but because of what I have. Property, what we, what we own, that is, isn't it, in our society, that's another thing that makes people taller in other people's eyes, what you have. You know, if you've got property in your 20s, property in London, wow. What are the other things that, that make people taller in our society? Well, look, qualifications, you've got three PhDs from Oxford and Cambridge by the time you've left school. Wow, it's impressive, right? Lifestyle. I mean, what, what is it for you? What is it in your eyes you, you feel makes people taller? When you look on social media, what is, that? what is that for you? I mean, just like back then, it's not completely stupid. Like there are reasons that we're impressed by those things, just like they were impressed by literally physically tall people. But verse 7, the Lord said, do not consider his appearance. God says, don't look at the surface. If we do that, if we, if, we, if we go through life just living at that level of appearances, it will rot our souls. Don't look at the surface. Man looks at the surface. People look at the surface. And that brings us to our second point, which is that God looks at the heart. Have a look at verse 7 with me. Um, uh, the, the, the next bit of it. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called uh, Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse um, made Shammah pass by. Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest. Jesse answered, he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought. And he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and was handsome features. The Lord said, rise and anoint him for this is the one. So he, Jesse parades out his seven sons. It's none of them. And then look at verse, just notice verse 11. There's the youngest one. Now the word for youngest in Hebrew is also the word for smallest. Right, there's one son, Jesse didn't even bother mentioning him. He left him out in the fields because he's the runt of the litter. He's so small in the society's eyes at the time. He, wouldn't, he doesn't even say what his name is. We only find out his name in verse 13. The small, the small one, the unimportant one. That's the one that God says, anoint him. It just... In brackets, notice verse 12, it says that he's good looking. It's not that God prefers ugly people or small people. It's that God just isn't looking at the appearance. That's the point. God is looking at the heart. 
And verse 13, Samuel uh, took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Um, The interesting thing there, just by the way, um, at this point in the Bible, God's spirit has come on different leaders, but it's normally just been like temporarily to, to perform some great act of liberation like Samson, you might remember with the Philistines, filled with God's spirit for a bit. Do you notice the difference here? Look at verse 13 again. From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came on him. This is kind of, he's, 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 he's permanently Spirit-filled. In David, God is, is choosing a weak-looking but Spirit-filled king. Now, just zoom out for a moment, right? This is a pattern throughout the Bible. That again and again and again, God chooses to work through someone who looks weak, in the eyes of the society at the time. So way back in Genesis, Cain and Abel, God chooses the younger brother. You may remember Jacob and Esau, God chooses the younger brother. Culturally, that's just nuts. It just, you just don't do that. But, um, but God, again and again, chooses to work through the ones society would see as smaller and weaker. Now, here we are at the outset of a new era in the Bible, the kings. And right here at the outset of the new era, it's the same pattern. God chooses to work through a weak-looking, spirit-filled saviour king. Each culture is obsessed with appearances, but verse 7, God looks at the heart. Now, just before we move on, just very quickly, for you and me today, if, if God is the only person that sees the heart, then we do need to listen to him. Right, our perspective is so limited. We can only really see, see, see the surface. So I don't think the point here is um, don't look at the surface, look at the heart like God. Only God can do that. What's Samuel to do here? He can't see into David's heart. What does Samuel do? He listens to what God says. He listens to who God says is important. So just very simply for you and me today, um, if we're going to be not so shallow if we're going to see what really matters, we do need to listen to him because he's the only one that sees the heart. He's not limited in his perspective like we are. God looks at the heart. Final point then. Um, uh, People look at the surface. God looks at the heart. So don't miss what matters. Um, If you're out this whole passage uh, what God wants from the king and what people think are totally different. And in the, in the kind of the last section, we see that play out as these two kings meet. The old rejected king, the new spiritual king come together in this weird, weird situation and there's a liar involved and it's all quite strange. But, 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 but I, think, I think here, I think don't just look at the surface. If we look at the surface, we'll miss what really matters. Let me read it out. Um, Have a look down uh, with me. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Um, Saul's attendant said to him, uh, see an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here uh, to search for someone who can play the lie. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. 
One of the servants answered, uh, I've seen the son of Jesse in Bethlehem. He knows how to play the lyre. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine looking man and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David, who's with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey, loaded it with bread, uh, a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much. And David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse saying, allow David to remain in my service for I'm pleased with him. Whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. Right, so we've got the old rejected king and the new spirit filled king. We might expect a fight. Right? We might expect the new king to kick the old king out. But that's just not what happens. I think what's really interesting here is it just, you see how differently um, the kings are portrayed. Okay, Saul speaks three times. I wonder if you notice verse 17, verse 19, verse 22. Each time, do you see what he's doing? He's barking a command at people. Um, Verse 17, find someone who plays well. Uh, Verse 19, uh, send me your son. Uh, Verse 22, allow David to remain in my service. Not a request in the Hebrew, a command. He's barking orders at everyone and everyone is kind of running around, bending over backwards to do what he says and help um, help him out. People jumping to his every whim. Now compare that to David, the spirit filled king. David doesn't even speak. He's completely silent here. And what does he do? Well, he silently, quietly serves. Notice verse 21. David came to Saul and entered his service. Verse 22, allow David to remain in my service. God's chosen spirit-filled king becomes a a servant. Now guys, do you see, if we look at this just at the level of appearances, what have we got? We've got a powerful king barking commands and a silent nobody servant playing a liar. If we just look at the appearances, that's all we'll see. But if we look deeper, what do we see then? Well, we see Saul, the, the, the man's king, who's, who's outwardly impressive, barking commands, but he's falling apart spiritually. And on the other hand, we've got God's true king who looks like nothing. A, a lowly um, servant, humbly serving. But which one of those is filled with God's spirit? Look back at verse 23 again. Whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief, peace would come to Saul. He'd feel better and the evil spirit would would leave him. God's true chosen king, the king that God's people really need, the savior king, the Messiah, is a humble servant who brings peace to someone's soul. we look at the surface, we miss, we miss what matters to God. Now, what, why am I saying all this? Why does that matter for you and me today? Well, look, the same thing is true 
for the divinely appointed leader that God puts over Christians, for Jesus Christ. He appears as a humble servant. On the surface, there is nothing impressive about him. Um, Jesus wasn't tall in any sense of the words. Um, he, He never had any property. He never had any qualifications. He never made any money. He never even had a home. He was broke and homeless. But you look at the surface, it's nothing. It's nothing impressive about him um, whatsoever. In fact, look at these words from um, Isaiah 53. Hopefully they'll come up. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Leave it up there for a moment. Um, There's nowhere that we see that more, like the weak looking king. There's nowhere we see that more than the moment Jesus Christ dies on the cross. A naked um, uh, criminal hanging, mocked and rejected. Nothing looks weaker than that. That is his moment of greatest weakness. But look at what he was doing in that moment of weakness. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And look at what God thinks of that. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he'll divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sin of many. The the moment where Jesus looks most like a rejected, weak, humble servant when he's dying on the cross is the moment God looks at and sees the most powerful act in human history. When Jesus Christ died for your sin and mine to bring peace to our souls to reconcile our souls to God, our creator. He looked outwardly weak and insignificant, yet he was the spirit-filled king that we truly need. And through that, you and I can have hope. Now, look, if we look at the surface, we'll miss what matters to God. Let me just, three, th- three areas that I think that we can be in danger of that. There are three arrows on your handout. Three areas we can be in danger of that. First one is just what I said. When you look at Jesus... So let me ask you, when you look at Jesus, what do you see? If, particularly if you're here this evening and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian yet, you're just looking into the Christian faith. What do you see when you look at Jesus? If you just look at the surface, you'll see nothing special about him. He is not going to wow you in superficial ways. He's not going to win any branding competitions. His Instagram wouldn't have looked impressive. And if you become a follower of his, your Instagram won't become more impressive either. But if the surface is all you're seeing when you look at Jesus, can I just encourage you, implore you, maybe you're missing what really matters. Maybe you're missing what matters to God. Because guys, Jesus Christ, he doesn't want to deal with you and me on the surface of our lives. He wants to reconcile your soul to God. He wants to transform you at the deepest level of your being. So when you look at Jesus, can I, can I encourage you? Don't miss what matters. Don't miss what really matters. It's possible to walk through your whole life 
missing what matters to God. Don't do that. Look at Jesus again. That's one area we can make this mistake when we look at Jesus. Look, just, just two more areas briefly. Another area I think we can make this mistake of missing what matters is here in church. Um, what do we look for uh, when we look at church? I, I, I don't know about you, but let's be honest. We love it when church looks impressive, don't we? And we do. Um, I've noticed that in myself. When, I, when, when my mates ask me what I, what I do, or people I meet ask me what I do, and I mention I'm a church minister, it's quite funny. They always go, oh, they don't know what to say. And then they say, that must be really rewarding for you, just because they're feeling awkward. Um, <laughs> but it's... Uh, <laughs> um, that, ha- that happens over and over and over. Anyway, um, but, but it's funny. I've noticed in myself that I'm always really quick to tell them, yeah, and we have like 400 people every Sunday, and loads of them are in their 20s and 30s. And I... I, I it's pathetic, isn't it? But I want to I tell them the things that sort of outwardly, culturally might look impressive about us. Those aren't the things that matter to God. God tells us what matters in a church. It's that we love him and his word and that we love each other. Why don't I say that when people ask me about church? I miss what matters to God because I'm just looking at the surface. And the reason I think this matters... Don't miss what matters to God when it comes to church. It's great that we have wonderful music here and it's great that we have so many people. But if that is what you and I focus on, you will miss what matters. And the reason that I think that's important is we've got a high turnover, right? In the next five years, loads of people in this room are going to be going to another church. It's just how London works. What will you look for? What will you look for when you move to another church? If you just look at the surface... We miss what matters to God. Don't make that mistake. Third third area, third area of life I think we can make this mistake um, is when it comes to other people. What do we look for in other people? I come back to that question from the beginning. What is it for you that impresses you um, in other people? I asked, I was struggling to think of this, so I asked my wife um, where I make this mistake. And she told me, that it's apparently I'm impressed by sporty people. <laughs> and it's true. If I ever meet a, a, a professional rugby player, I become like a giggling school child. I'm just, ooh. Um, but then that, she said, no, no, it's more than that. She said, Nick, when you're talking about who you're going to be friends with, you keep just talking about how sporty they are. And I thought, oh, it's, it's, it's right. But how shallow is that? I don't want to live a, a life that's that shallow. That's not how God looks at people. That's not how, how God rates um, and what matters to him. How, how, how shallow of me. I mean, I wonder, again, what is it for you? Where is it that people in outwardly impressive ways impress, impress you? We've got, I want to finish by saying this. When we do get this, when we do look beyond the surface, it is beautiful it is beautiful when people look beyond the surface. Um, a mum from the morning congregation uh, this week told me a story 
uh, about something that happened. She said that she was, she was at the park with her kids and there was a, a non, she had a non-Christian friend and her kids were there and they were chatting and they, they, it was time to go home. So they started walking back to the tube station and they saw a homeless person and the Christian mum and her kids, which when it was safe, this was their practice, just went and started chatting to the homeless person and shared some of their lunch and had this lovely encounter. Um, a non-Christian family were there and then they, they, they started walking off to the tube station and the Christian mum turned to her friend and her friend was just weeping, just crying. And she said, you okay, what's wrong? And she said, that, that moment just took me right back to my childhood faith that I've turned my back on because I spend so much of my life just judging people, just looking at the surface and looking down on other people. But who am I? Who am I to judge others like that? To, to her, when she saw this Christian mum, not, not living on the surface, not judging on the surface, she thought it was, and raising her kids to not live like that, she thought it was absolutely beautiful. And it is, isn't it? It's attractive when you meet someone who looks past the surface. Someone who, whoever they're talking to, whether it's the CEO or the cleaner, gives them the same love and respect. That is beautiful, isn't it? If you're a Christian here tonight, you and I, we follow a saviour whose moment of greatest weakness and rejection was his greatest strength. That has got to teach us and shape us to look past the surface, hasn't it? If that is our king, if that is our saviour, That's got to teach us to listen to what God says matters and to see past the superficial. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we praise you that you were willing to come and take on the form of a weak, despised servant. You were willing to be totally weak in the eyes of society. And in that moment of greatest weakness, you reconcile our souls to God. And we thank you and praise you for that. Please teach us not to be deceived by appearances. Please teach us to listen to you, to listen to our Father for what matters. And we don't want to go through our lives so living at that superficial level, judging, taken in by appearances. Please teach us in you and in what you've done in saving us uh, to look beyond the surface, to listen to, to listen to our Father and live for what truly matters. Amen.